All right. Good morning. Can y'all hear me? Is this thing working? Is it working? We on? Oh, there it is. There it is. So, uh, this is awesome. Hey, uh, real quick, I want to uh, take this time to welcome all of our live stream audience, uh, our people over in the Fellowship Center. We see you over there. Give us a clap. I, I got you on camera. I'll know if you clap or not. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. Man, it has been a long time since I've seen this room this rowdy. So uh, I want to I want to just say something real quick. Uh, first thing, our camera crew is going to run for their money today because they ain't standing at this podium very long. And uh, and the other thing is, I want to give every person under the sound of my voice permission right now to clap, to laugh, to cry, to say amen. You get what I'm saying? You don't got to sit there and be cool. It's all right to get a little wild sometimes. The other thing is, I know some of y'all may not be used to someone as attractive and in shape as me. <laughs> Up here, you know. And uh, and look, Mike and Alan gave me the freedom to talk about whatever I want to talk about, so y'all may be in trouble this morning. Because ain't no telling what's going to happen. But I do know this, right? I know that y'all are used to somebody up here wearing a vest. So to help the medicine go down, I got Grant Taylor, a good friend of mine, to go ahead and uh, equip me with a vest so that we can do this properly this morning. All right, let's see here. Oh, man, how do y'all wear these things? Oh, all right. Oh. Huh? It's like, it's like the spirit of Mike Kellett just descended upon me. Oh man, I know why they wear these things now. I just feel powerful. It makes my arms, I feel like, I feel like I could lift like 400 pounds. So, um, before I go any further, I want to invite our director to come up here real quick, uh, Mr. Ryan Lee. This weekend couldn't have happened without him. Good morning. I'm about to lose my feedback. I want to, I'm so grateful. That's been the word that's been on my heart all weekend. Grateful. Because how can you be anything else when Jesus the King is in the room? You know? We're all rescued. We're all rescued from something. And let me tell you, I'm in love with White's Ferry Road Church. Because we are a rescued church. Now, if I'm being honest, I've been, I've been going to these retreats for about 10 years. I'll share with the men this weekend. I've done it with... Catholic churches, I've done it with Methodist churches, I've done it with Baptist churches, I've done it with Pentecostal churches, I've done them all. One thing that we had in common was that we all love Jesus. 
And one of the things that God was sharing to me through these retreats is that it doesn't matter what box you go into that was made by human hands on a Sunday morning or who you fellowship with. We're all loving the same God. And if the gospel is at the center, then I'm in. And so this, these men here, we had 40 men go through for their first time. And to tell you a little bit about how it works, we had about 60 to 70 more men that helped put it on and serve them. Because we follow our leader. And Jesus, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to, be, to serve. Right? And so we are trying to emulate him, and service is where we start. Those are the kind of leaders that I'll follow, the ones that are serving. And you may notice we're wearing these T-shirts. I got a little input in them, and I just like black. So we got black. Thanks, bro. It's slimming, baby. Let me tell Alan. Alan only used to wear black when LSU would lose. Well, LSU's losing a lot lately, so just stay in the black and don't worry about the vest. Am I going to lose you on that? The whole weekend and then that one gets you? But you notice these shirts, they say perfect power. You see, as men, the world tells us that we need to chase after power. In our careers, and our jobs, we've got to go and try to get the highest rank. Whether you're in a service industry or you in a corporate America or wherever you are, you try to, you got to climb the ladder, right? We have to have power. And the world also tells us that we need power in our relationships. But I don't want to, I, I want to be up here and tell you about what I know, and what I've done, and what I've seen. That gives me a sense of power. But what we learned about this weekend was perfect power. And where perfect power comes from. And I want to share with you where we were out of. Second Corinthians chapter 12, if you have the Bibles, turn with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You hear that? We want power resting on me. It ain't my power. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. What? In insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then, and only then, am I strong. So we believe in a God that has all the power. And his power is perfect. And the world trying to tell us to chase our own power, we're filtering all that noise out. And we are going to rest on his power, delighting in our weaknesses, being vulnerable, being real, being known. Because there's a lot of earthly power in being arm's length. Am I right? If you don't know me, you don't know all my junk, then it gives me a sense of power. But when I tell you about everything and I show you all my junk, all of my dirty, I can't, I don't have any power anymore. And the only power I can receive is Christ. So I want to thank you, men. For showing up. Most of these men had no clue what was going to go on. And they showed up anyway. Some of them we had to drag. 
But now they're going to be dragging other men to the next one. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful for these men, the men that helped put it on. I'm grateful for our church. I'm grateful for our elders who supported this and showed up. We had seven elders on this retreat. Because we have an eldership that leads through service. And they have our back, and we have yours. Most of all, though, I'm grateful for Jesus Christ. It's what brings us all together. It, what, you know, we've been preaching, Mike and I have been preaching on unity, right? There's one common thread, y'all. Jesus Christ. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. And sometimes when you do, you've got to retreat. Grant Taylor and I talked about retreating. Retreating is not running away from the fight. It's stepping out of the battle to, to get a new game plan. So we stepped out of the battle for a minute, reassessed our strategies, reassessed our game plan, refocused. We fixed our eyes on Jesus, and now we're back in the fight. Oh, y'all better get ready. Because an army just showed up. Love y'all. Oh, yeah. One of the 40 men that went for the first time, I want to bring him up here. Come on, Chad. Come on, Johnson. My man had no idea what was about to happen in his life this weekend, and I just wanted him to share a little bit, just a little taste of what he experienced. First of all, I ain't been crying for three days. My eyes have been sweating. Second of all, I don't have my glasses, so I'm going to squint. Debbie brought them. She's got them over there. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Why don't they read now? <laughs> so, uh, this punishment that he's talking about is guilt, <clears throat> shame, accusations. You know, Satan is an accuser. Right? He's the accuser. He's a liar. Uh, slander. That's punishment. So we talk about holy fear, which is obedience, love, trust, perseverance, white knuckle it. Talk about unholy fear. Unholy fears, fret, worry, guilt, shame. So, I'm going to ask you a question. Here's the great, amazing thing about my question is you will be able to answer it. <clears throat> so, here's my question. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins so that you may be healed. 
Got it. We bought, we got that one brainwashed. I didn't even have to look down. Here's my question. Confess your sins. If that grips you with unholy fear, I mean like, no. No. Nope. Never. If confessing your sins grips you with unholy fear and the grip of death, then there's two things I know about you. One, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with some crap over and over and over. And then when you keep struggling and not being able to overcome it, then guilt is going to set in and shame is going to set in. And then you're going to think, I can't do it. And then you're going to think, why try? Who cares? I can't beat it anyway. Satan's trail is perfect. It's leading to a lack of hope in the Creator. Who does free? So that's what I know about you. So how do you know that? Because that's me. Let me rephrase that. That was me. Here's something else I know about you. Here's something else I know about you. If you're gripped with fear and you just emotionally went through that and you just had the thoughts that I know you would say, I can remember that like it was yesterday. I can remember that like it was this morning. I got you. I got you. But here's what I know. Is that if you will step out of slavery of unholy fear and trust God, that slander, uh, accusations, uh, ashamed. See, I stood in front of these 65 so people. My gut was wrenching. So guys right down here just hang on. Man, what are they going to say? Fifty-something years, forty-something years. I'm fifty now, so forty-something years I've carried a burden. I said, hey, I'm done. Through carrying that. So here's the other thing I know about you. Because the last of that sentence said, you will be healed. So... If you're uncomfortable raising your hands, and I get that, where I come from, we didn't do a whole lot of hand raising, but y'all do it watch straight road. <laughs> you see, here's the thing I notice about people that raise their hands. They're like me now. They're free from fear, unholy fear, unholy fear. And so what they're saying with their hands is thank you. God, I praise your name. You are holy, holy, holy. I walked in here 27 years ago. I sat right over there. 
I don't know what it is. When you come in a place, that's where you stay. I don't know. Most of y'all over there, I sit over here. Me and my wife sit right there. I came in here one time, and that Sunday, an individual walked down here. There was 40-something people came right down here with that one person. I was like, what in the world? It's real people. Real life saying I'm broken. So I would just say this. I know for a fact that there are people in this room that are gripped with fear of what we might think. I will tell you what I will be thinking of you. This person's fixing to be free. describe what that bell is a little bit later. I see some of y'all out there like, man, these dudes ringing bells. Ain't no, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a little bit weird. That's cool. Just hold on. I'm going to explain it here in a little bit. Uh, and if you noticed, I took the vest off mainly because there's just some shoes I'll never be able to fill. And, uh, and that's okay because we have a God that made us all uniquely and individually. We have a God that never asked me to be Mike Kellett or Alan Robertson. We have a God that wanted me to be Brian Rucker, and that's it. So, since I am Brian Rucker, I'm going to say a bunch of stuff that ends with, you know what I'm saying. And I'm more than likely going to use a few uh, phrases and words that you've never heard of. Uh, mainly because that's just who I am. And I'm from the projects. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You know, uh, I, I, I got inspired as, as Chad was talking because there's, uh, there's something that not even my director team, uh, know about me. And that's whenever we entered into this weekend, I entered with a mission, right? And that mission was to speak to somebody. I have a good friend named Tommy Lawrence up in North Carolina. Uh, he's just some farmer, doesn't even have a cell phone or anything like that. And uh, he got into prison ministry. My dude ain't never smoked a cigarette. He ain't never took a drink. He ain't never been locked up. He goes out and he farms, and that's what he does. And he decided to go into prison ministry. And we had just got done doing an event. We were at a hotel, and we were just sitting there talking. And I asked him, I said, Tommy, what in the world led you to prison ministry? He said, well, you know what, Brian? That's how he talks. Um, he said... He said, man, I, for, for 40 years, I lived in this spiritual no man's land. He said, I was too Christian to enjoy sin. I was too sinful to enjoy Christ. He said, I knew enough to be informed, but I didn't have the faith to be transformed. Those are the people I'm talking to today. And you may not know that you're in a no man's land. You may be showing up each and every day, each and every week, and you may be a good person. But this ain't about whether you're good or bad. This is about if you're dead or alive. Because Jesus didn't come and die on a cross to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. 
And it starts with the men. It starts with the men. Because it's been said, if you want to reach a family, you need to reach the men. If you want to grow a church, you need to grow the men. There's a statistic that says that if a father in a household becomes a follower of Jesus, there's a 93% probability that the rest of the family will become Christian also. This is 2022. There's hardly anything that's got a 93% chance. Especially because we live in Louisiana. There's a 93% chance that it'll rain. Well, we don't know. It may rain. It may not. We don't. 93% probability that if a man gives his life to Jesus, the rest of his family will give their life to Jesus. We just had 43 men go on this retreat. And we say retreat, but the truth is it's an encounter, right? It was an encounter with the Holy Spirit and a vehicle to reaffirm, renew, or begin a deep relationship with Jesus. And I want to tell you, all of you, under the sound of my voice, that that will affect our forever family. It will change things. Because, man, I've seen people that I looked up to for years, that I've been coming here and looking up to and having mentor me, give it all up. And you would say, well, Chad Johnson, solid guy. He's in ministry, he's out there, he's running transformations, he's saving lives and everything else. He got up and he rang a bell to give it all up. I just wonder how many people under the sound of my voice right now are out there living good for the kingdom that still has some things that they need to give up. So some of the qualities that you think about when you think about a man's man is uh, usually like they're strong, they're secure, uh, they're powerful, they're a provider. But what if I told you that Jesus actually was the example of being vulnerable? See, a lot of times when we talk about vulnerability, people don't want to go there. Because it's very easy for us to describe our strengths, right? We always are quick to talk about what we're strong at, but when we talk about what we're weak at, that's a very short list. We don't like to go there too much. Being vulnerable creates connection. And that's what we're called to do as believers is to connect with one another. We've been going through First Corinthians uh, here at our church. And it's all about living in unity, being there together with one another. So our theme verse for this weekend, as Ryan read earlier, was Second Corinthians 12.9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. And today I want to dive into that and just talk about what that means. Oh, Lord. Computer glitch. It's all good. I guess that's why Alan and Mike use paper. You know, I come up here with a computer. So God's perfect power comes from weakness. So let's just kind of look at it like this. Weakness equals his perfect power. Right? So if our weakness equals his perfect power, talking about my weakness is something I need to do. As a counselor, what I would do is I would have people come in and we would do these assessments. And then you would go down like, what are your strengths? And then they would always list what what their strengths were. Well, I'm a people person. I'm hardworking. I got a good job, this, that, and the other. But then whenever I ask them what their weakness is, all of a sudden, they get quiet. They're like, what you talking about weakness? I ain't here to learn about weakness. I said, well, actually, in order for you to be healed, you have to identify your weakness. And a lot of times, that's hard for people to do. 
I want to tell you this story. There was this eight-year-old boy uh, that went to the pet store with his dad. And he went to the pet store because he wanted to buy a puppy, right? So dad takes him to the pet store to buy a puppy. And, uh, and they get there, and the store manager showed him this pen with five little furry balls, uh, just puppies, five little puppies. And when they looked, there was this adjacent pen off to the side that just had one little puppy in it. So the little boy said, why is that puppy all alone? And the manager explained, well, that puppy was born with a bad leg and would be crippled for life. So we're going to have to put him to sleep, which is very interesting for a a pet store manager to say to a kid. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) What's wrong with this puppy? Well, kid, we're going to have to kill him. You know? (laughs) He's like, I'll just be a real like that's just, you know. He said, he said, I could lie to you, kid, but I just, we're just going to kill him. That's just what we got to do. The boy asked, yo, you're going to kill this puppy? And the manager answered, well, you have to realize that this puppy would never be able to run and play with a boy like you uh, because he, he was born with a birth defect. He had a bad leg. And so after, the, after further conversation with his dad, the dad walks up to the manager and says, uh, hey, we want to buy the puppy with the bad leg, and we want to pay the same price for him as one of the healthy puppies. And the manager is like, why would you want this one? Why do you want to get this puppy? And to answer the manager's question, the eight-year-old boy bent over and he pulled up his right pants leg and it revealed a brace. He said, mister, I want this one because I understand what he's going through. The little boy was drawn to the weakness of the puppy because of the weakness in his own life. Only when you realize your own weakness can we relate to the others in their weakness. Most of us are going around here living our life as Christians trying to be on purpose for the gospel. But we're trying to use our knowledge. We're trying to use what we can say. We're trying to use what we can prove as aside from using our weakness as a way to connect to someone. Told you, y'all might be in trouble today. Okay. These notes going to go out the window at some point. Y'all just hold on. It's going to be, you know what I'm saying? Weakness can be defined as any limitation we cannot change. Our weakness may be circumstantial. Perhaps you were born with your weakness. Maybe your weakness is financial. Maybe it's relational, emotional, or you have a tendency to be depressed. Let fear rule, worryful. It's not about what your weakness is. It's about what you do with it. Normally we deny them or we try to defend them or we may excuse them or hide them. But God wants to use them. The way the way we think most of the time is that God would want to use our strengths. But really, it's not like that. You you know, we're always like, well, uh, well, Brian, you're a good speaker. So it's obvious God wants you to be speaking. And I'm like, what? I don't know that. I mean, I mean, yes, do I have that gift from God? Is he going to use it for his glory? Absolutely. But I'll tell you what, there's more people in this room that I have helped because of my weakness than because of my strength. Isaiah 55, God says, my ways are not your ways. So the way that we would fathom, the way that we would figure it and everything else isn't the way that God would do it. First Corinthians one twenty seven, the Lord says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
God's word is filled with accounts like this. One being Gideon. Gideon is, is the story that we all know of like God taking the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It's one of those ones that you go to. Yeah, like Gideon, you know. But Gideon's first introduced to us in Judges 6, uh, hiding from the Midianites, threshing wheat in a wine press. Why is he hiding from the Midianites? Because the Midianites overrun Israel and were so oppressive that they would come through, completely ravish the crops and livestock and leave no living thing and completely impoverish them. Now, this is... This is just kind of interesting because when you read it, you're like, okay, Gideon's hiding. He's threshing weed in the wine press uh, and he's hiding from the Midianites. And you're like, okay, well, then you got to really consider what is, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Let me just ask y'all, what is a wine press made for? It's made for wine. Boone's Farm. Just <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't help it. I could not help it. Okay. I told y'all I'm a little bit different. But a wine press is made for wine. It is not made for threshing wheat. So a wine press is a roth that's low in the ground and you fill it up with fruits like grapes. And then you get in there and you stomp on them and you um, press down and you start to let the flow from the grapes, the juices flow down into a lower cistern where it then permeates, And then that's how you get wine. That is not made for threshing wheat. Threshing wheat is actually done differently. It's actually supposed to be done on this large flat stove with compact soil put on top of it. And then after you harvest the wheat, you come and you put it on that stone. And then you take an oxen, you attach the yoke to the oxen, you tie a big giant log to it. And then the oxen runs over the wheat with the log. And then you take a pitchfork and you pick it up and you throw it in the air. And then the wind will separate the wheat from the chaff. That's how wheat's supposed to be done. It's not supposed to be done in a wine press. So you realize that with wheat, it's not you that's doing all the work. Instead, you reap the reward of the labor of the oxen, the log, and the wind. So let's just look at it like this because I'm, I'm a weird thinker. Let's look at, let's look at us being like a spiritual person. And then let's look at the oxen like it's Jesus, the log like it's the cross, and then the wind like it's the Holy Spirit. So we reap the reward of the labor of Jesus through the cross, and then the Holy Spirit separates the good and bad from our life. And we get the reward. It's not supposed to look like Gideon over there threshing wheat in a wine press, doing it all on his own, because he's grown weary, he's dealing with things, he's struggling, and he's not even getting half the reward that he would get if he would rely on the things that God wants him to rely on. Now, I want you to remember this. He's the youngest guy from the poorest family in the weakest, smallest tribe. So then when you go to Judges six twelve, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Well, hold on. Because Gideon doesn't look mighty. He isn't acting mighty. He hadn't had any mighty accomplishments. He's hiding away, actively letting his weakness in life and circumstances rule his life. And God calls him a mighty warrior. God will never speak to your current condition. He will speak to the position that he has for your life. 
So while we look at our weakness and do the best we can, God calls Gideon a mighty warrior. But the thing is, Gideon doesn't know he's a mighty warrior yet. He's just living in his weakness, doing the best he can. How many of y'all have been just doing the best you can? Whether you're dealing with a circumstance or you're dealing with a mindset, you're dealing with anger. I don't know what it is, but some of y'all may just be doing the best you can over there trying to thresh wheat in a wine press, doing it all wrong instead of relying on God and the calling that he has for your life. So Gideon, like us, said, what me starts questioning God, he starts asking all these questions. Why, Lord? Why, 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 why? Why this? Why that? He asked God to prove himself and everything else. He did it twice. And Gideon is finally convinced God is with him. So then God tells him, okay, this is what you're going to do. Um, you and about 300 dudes are going to go defeat an army. Right? Gideon with 300 men make an army of 132,000 become fearful and ultimately destroy themselves. Now, the Gideon that we see that is obedient to God doing all that is one that is strengthened by the perfect power of God because he was able to quit living in his weakness. But he had to identify it first. So through the weak things of the world, God shames the strong and the enemies of Israel were strong. But the enemy, no matter how strong it may be, can never be victorious over God. Never. And unlike what we would do, God uses our weakness to make his power perfect. One of the biggest things over the weekend that men had to get rid of was pride. It's pride. Now, I know that these ain't the only prideful people in the room. I know that. We all struggle with it. Because sometimes we think about pride and we think that it's because I'm super, like, uh, boisterous or like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm rough around the edges, things like that. But that ain't what pride's got to look like. Pride could just look like I pray to God, but then I don't rely on God. I don't think y'all heard me. I said sometimes pride looks like I pray to God, but then I don't rely on God. Okay? I will pray to God and ask for his help, but then immediately try to help myself. Second Corinthians four, seven, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. In other words, God puts his greatest gifts in ordinary containers. You don't have to suffer the sting of your weakness. You could submit them to God and he will use them. But we need to do some things. The first thing that we need to do is admit your admit your weakness. God will begin to use your weakness for his glory in the kingdom when we stop pretending that we don't have them. A lot of times we just like to put on the mask, feel the part, you know. Maybe you're in leadership. Maybe you got a lot of people that look up to you at your job. Things like that. And it would be very difficult to admit your weakness. Because then if I admit weakness, then that would imply that I got a problem. Yeah, That's the point. Here's the deal. All of humanity has a problem. If we didn't have a problem, would Jesus have been necessary? But he was totally necessary because sin divided us from God. And then that gap got bridged through the cross. Nobody, no matter who you are, you need that. 
When we stop trying to hide our weakness and we stop hoping that they go away, and we stop letting our weakness become a part of who we are and we admit them, that's whenever things change. Over the weekend, that's, that's what happened. There was a lot of stuff that went on that I can't tell you about, but man, time and time again, what I've seen happen was chains come falling off of men because they got up and admitted their weakness to other people. That's what it's about. It'll never be about how strong you can stand by yourself. That's never going to be what life is about. Second Corinthians 12, he writes in verse 10, For Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. A lot of times we don't want to admit them. Going back to the vulnerability. But we have to be willing to admit our weaknesses in order to learn how to, to, how to delight in them. And this is coming from the Apostle Paul, okay? I don't know if y'all know anything about the Apostle Paul, but if you don't, I'm about to tell you about him, okay? Because this bastion of faith, this guy that wrote um, uh, the greater majority of the New Testament, life wasn't easy. Life was not easy. My dude was in a prison. Matter of fact, they called it the Mamertine prison, right? And that's a prison in Rome that you go to the back and all the way in the back, they cut a hole in the floor and then they would lower high risk inmates down into this hole. And then once a day, while you're inside this hole, inside a prison, sewage water would come through and flood the cell. And they would literally have to keep a rope tied around Paul so that every time the sewage water came in, they could pull him up with a rope so that he didn't drown. And meanwhile, he's there in this Mamertine prison, literally going through the worst, worst things than any of us have ever experienced. Some of us have been to prison, but we ain't have to deal with that. And he's being pulled up by a rope so that he doesn't drown in sewage water. He's writing to the church talking about joy for them. I don't know about y'all, but if that's me and I'm in that situation, I ain't talking about praying for y'all. I'm going to be talking about y'all pray for your boy. Because I'm going through it. <laughs> but that's not what he did. No, that's not what he did. He delighted in his weakness. He delighted in his hardships, in his persecution. Why? Because his life was intentional to sharing the gospel and nothing could stop that. Did you know that most theologians believe that they would have to change the guard every hour on the hour? Because if they left the guard around Paul too long, he would convert them to Christianity. In insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why am I strong when I'm weak? Because God's power dwells inside me and because of that power I can do anything. The other thing that you have to do after you admit that you're weak is accept it. There's a lot of men over the weekend that knew that they were weak. There's a lot of guys that knew that they had some stuff that they needed to let go of. But they were struggling with the acceptance piece. And I know there's people under the sound of my voice right now that you know that you're weak and you're willing to admit that, but you ain't willing to accept it. And that's a vital piece of it. 
in recovery, uh, what we tell people is that, one, admit that you're powerless and that your life is unmanageable. Two, come to believe that God could and would restore you to sanity. And then three, turn your will and life over to God. The next thing that you have to do after that is then take a deep dive internally, not externally, internally. You have to deep dive and see what it is inside of me that makes me consistently go back to the vomit. What is it inside of me that consistently keeps me hurting, keeps me in pain? And then and part of that process is after you then do the introspective work and you determine what that is. OK, now you need to accept it. Most of the time, the bad positions that we end up in and the struggles that we have usually are a result of us not being willing to accept current circumstances. You think Paul would have been able to share the gospel with guards that were pulling him up by a rope as he was drowning in sewage water in prison on false charges? If he didn't just accept the fact that God be glorified regardless of what I'm going through? Nope. Paul says he delights in weakness. The Greek word there meaning takes pleasure in or prefer. To prefer the weakness. I would prefer to be weak. So he would prefer to have it. He accepts it. Why? Because his weakness is what makes his rely, makes him reliant on the power of Christ. The perfect power. See, Paul didn't do any of that stuff that we're talking about. It was God and his spirit in his life. Inside of Paul that did all those things. Remember when Paul is pleading with God to remove his thorn in his flesh, God answers that prayer. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, I am with you. It's the same thing he said to Gideon. It's the same thing he said to Paul. And it's the same thing he's saying to you this morning. God is with you. So if you can't admit your weakness, if you can't accept your weakness, you got to know that the grace is sufficient for you. All you got to do is accept it. When we know that his grace is sufficient and he is with us, we can accept it. So for a lot of these guys over the weekend that finally got to an accepting point about their weakness, it was because they realized, no, his grace is sufficient. His grace and mercies are new every day. And it's because of that, it's because of that I can accept the fact that I'm weak. God will never put you in a circumstance where he's not necessary. A lot of times that's what we pray for. We pray that God puts us in a circumstance where he's not necessary. God, just give me financial peace. God, put me in a, put me in a position to where I can handle things that I want to handle. God, do this, do that. Well, God's like, no, dummy. No. No. Matter of fact, what I want to do is make you relying on me. I don't want you to keep thinking that if I put your circumstances in a certain order that you could somehow achieve your own success because that ain't never what it's going to be about. We were designed on purpose for a purpose. What was that purpose? Glorify God. That's the purpose. Glorify God. Lift our praises to him. Elevate God. Magnify him. Too many times. We're just trying to have a peaceful life. The last thing that you need to do is acknowledge your weakness to others. To be spiritually mature, we need to be emotionally healthy. 
Part of being emotionally healthy is being willing to acknowledge our weakness, especially with others. James says, confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. It has been said that revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. Some things in your life will not budge until you share them with others. I, I hear it all the time in recovery. You know, guys come to me, well, man, you know, I've been struggling with something, but, but I confessed it to God. I'm like, okay, cool. What is it? Oh, I can't tell you. <laughs> what? What do you mean you can't tell me? You're like, well, I, I gave it to God. I gave it to God. Okay, I confess it to God. I'm like, don't you know that you confess it to God for forgiveness, but you confess it to a brother for healing? Sometimes we want to do do it our way, right? We want to do what we're comfortable with. We want to go with what's easy. Yeah, I'll confess it to God in a room by myself where nobody can hear all my junk. Yeah. Yeah, that's easy. I mean... But to show up, sit down here on this front row and give a microphone to an elder or a leader of this church and then have them say out loud to the rest of your forever family about what's really going on. Oh, yeah, that's different. That hits a whole lot different. And we do that. At least some people do that. There's some people that don't. And it's just the truth. You can hear a pin drop in here right now. I don't know if y'all know that or not. I don't know if that's good or bad. Maybe it just means I'm being too real. But man, I just spent the past 72 hours being real with some giants in faith. And I'm going to keep on doing that. And I can't stop doing that because being real is what's going to produce freedom in my life. God sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for us, then be raised from the grave in order for us to have grace and an opportunity to experience heaven. Mike Kellett has said it before. If you hear the gospel and miss grace, then you miss the whole story. Sometimes we think grace is good for that guy or grace is good for her. Grace is good for them, but grace ain't good for me. That's a lie from the enemy. Grace is sufficient for you. Most people I know, when God calls them to a purpose in ministry, he calls them to use their weakness so much more than their strength. So much more than their strength. I don't know if y'all know this about me, uh, but uh, I'm kind of a jerk sometimes. Just being real. I'm not a... you. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, if I'm being honest, I'm selfish by nature, right? I don't really like people all that much. People are like, man, you you got to love people, don't you? I don't, no, I don't really. No, like naturally, I, I can't stand none of you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. oh, they're never going to let me back up here again. I can tell you that much. But God is like, 
No, my grace is sufficient for you, Brian. And in all your weakness and all the ways you messed it up and all the ways that you want to be selfish, all the ways that you want to think about you and glorify you, what I'm going to do is put you in a ministry and a purpose to where the only thing you can do is reach out and help others. That's what I'm going to do with your life. I ain't going to make you a big deal. I'm going to make your life about making Jesus a big deal each and every day. I'm blessed that we're here at a church where we acknowledge and admit our weaknesses together. And it's because of that that I'm here in ministry. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but your boy is not from West Monroe. I did everything wrong that you could possibly do in this world. But it's because of all of that that God said, no, that gangbanging drug dealer that was out there shooting people, you're going to live on purpose for me. And what I do with you will be far greater than what anybody else will have to do. And in case you didn't know, that's the people that God used all throughout the Bible. You read about these people and you think, oh man, they were just godly dudes. Wrong. They sucked. (laughs) They did. Without God, they weren't good. Moses, the man God chose to lead Israel, was given impulsiveness and inadequacy. David, a man after God's own heart. He wasn't a pure man. Abraham, the father of the faith, worried so much that he asked his wife to pose as his sister so that the enemy wouldn't kill him and take her away from him. Gideon, Israel faced an enemy of 135,000 strong. God chose the smallest tribe, the poorest family, and the youngest kid to be Israel's deliverer. Peter, rock, stable. My dude was anything but stable. My dude was unstable. My dude was thrown. Okay? One thing I love about that occurrence in the garden is when Peter pulls out his sword, Jesus tells him to put his sword away. He says in Matthew 26, put away your sword. He who lives by it dies by it. Do you not know I could call upon my father and have more than 12 legions of angels at my disposal? Right? Let me just break that down to you real quick. Okay? Legion derives from the... A Roman military term, which means no less than 6,000 soldiers. So Jesus tells Peter, I could call 12 legions. So let's just take 6,000 and multiply that by 12. What is that? I'm going to do the math for you. 72,000. I sold a lot of drugs. I could do math. <laughs> 72,000. 72,000 angels. He says, all right, I could, I could call down more than 72,000 angels. Well, what does that mean, Jesus? What are 72,000 angels going to do? Well, then you go back to Isaiah and you realize that in one night, one angel wiped out 185,000 people. One angel, 185,000 people. And Jesus is like, all right, I got 72,000 of them angels at my disposal. Okay, so just for reference here, let's do some more math. What's 185,000 multiplied by 72,000? Don't worry. Don't get your calculator out. I did the math for you. 13.32 billion. So whenever Peter is walking up, pulling out his sword, 
Jesus says, put your sword up. Do you not know that I could wipe out the whole world twice? 13.232 billion is nearly twice the amount of people that are on earth today. He says, I'll wipe out the whole world twice. Put your sword up. It ain't about your weakness. It ain't about what you can do. It's about what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do what I'm going to do through the weakness that I have to bear. So this surrender bell, right? It, yes, that's what we call it, a surrender bell. Okay? It is a bell that signifies surrender. I know, man... I know so many Christians that are saved but not set free. I know so many people that are saved but not set free. And people often look at surrender like it's just about your salvation. We ain't talking about salvation here. That ain't what we're talking about. We ain't talking about whether you're going to heaven or not. What we're, what we're talking about is if you're going to experience freedom on earth until you get there. Because surrender leads to freedom. Surrender isn't just about your salvation. I know there's a lot of people that want to live free. And all these men right here, look at these men. Just take a quick second and look at them. Look at the guys that are wearing black shirts. We got elders. We got leaders in this church. We got people that you've looked up to time and time again. That every single one of these guys, there is not a single guy wearing a black shirt that didn't get up and ring this bell. Not a single one of them. And you're like, wait a minute, David Bromley rung that bell? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he did. Because it ain't about salvation, it's about freedom. Mike Williams got up and rang that bell? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. Because it ain't about his salvation, it's about his freedom. Chad Johnson rung that bell? Oh, yeah. Because it's about freedom. Randy Kirby? Gary Osborne? Jared Stokes? Gavin, Brandon Ward, yeah, they got up, they rang that bell. Do you think those guys are going to heaven? Oh yeah. You think Randy Kirby's going to heaven? I know he's going to heaven. But he needed to live in some new freedom. He needed to start living in some new freedom. And that's my thing, man. That's my thing. I just want to see people live in freedom. That's all I want, to see people live in freedom. 1980s, in Armenia, an earthquake happened, one of the worst earthquakes ever recorded. 25,000 people died instantly in this, her- in this earthquake. Millions of people were left homeless. That morning, a father gets up, takes his son to school like he does every other day and he pulls up at the school he lets his son out he says i love you son i'll see you later and then he leaves and he gets a mile down the road and he sees a ripple in the road sees the building start swaying and he's met with this uncontrollable fear So he turns the car around like any other father would do he gets back to the school and when he pulls up It's complete rubble. It's flat. 
He jumps out of the car, leaves his car running, the door wide open. He runs up onto this rubble. And people's like, no, no, don't do it. And he goes over to the the approximate location to where his son's classroom would have been. And he starts pulling rocks, starts pulling rocks. People are telling him there's no way anybody could survive it. And so he just starts moving rocks, starts moving them one by one, moving these rocks, moving these rocks. Eight hours goes by, 12 hours go by, 15 hours go by, 24 hours go by. And then before you know, people realize he's just... He's just pulling his grief away. He's just doing it so that he could say that he tried. But then on the 36th hour, daddy hears a noise. He hears a noise. And so he gets some people to come help him. And that father moves a giant rock that unearthed this cavern that had 13 students in it and one teacher. One of those students was his son. And then his son said, I told him you would come, daddy. I told him you would come. Now that's the story of an earthly daddy. That's the story of an earthly man. When we have a heavenly father that will continuously come after you, and the word says if you being evil can get good gifts to your children, how much more will I give to you? your weakness is. I don't know how you've allowed your weakness to affect you. I don't know what you've had going on, but if you are in this room, or if you're in that room 